J.K. Lilly, Contemporary Collectors, Part 2 The first book Mr. Lilly remembered, it was read aloud to him by his mother, is Wissis's classic, familiarly known as the Swiss Family Robinson, and it is fully represented here with its first appearance in magazine form. The first edition, Der Schweizersche Robinson, Zurich, 1812-1815, the first French translation by Madame de Montaulieu, and the first American printing. Among other continental rarities are Grimm's Kinter und Hausmarschen in contemporary boards, and Hans Christian Andersen's Eventier, series 1 and 2, and Neuer Eventier, series 1 to 4 while the English juveniles range from Thomas Day, Sanford and Merton through Black Beauty, in the correct binding, to a nice set of Beatrice Potters. Special mention must be made of a group of four books which can be found side by side in no other library in the world. No other library, as a matter of fact, has even three of them, and only six libraries, Congress, Yale, American Antiquarian Society, Harvard, New York Public and the British Museum can boast too. In 1641, Thomas Shepard published in London his The Sincere Convert. Three other copies only are recorded by Wing, Harvard, British Museum and the Congregational Library in London. In 1646, John Cotton published in London his Milk for Babes, drawn out of the breasts of both testaments, of which the Harmsworth Lily and the British Museum copies are the only perfect ones known. The Sincere Convert was translated into the Indian tongue by John Eliot and printed at Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1689, and the Spiritual Milk for Boston Babes, as it was retitled, was likewise translated and printed at Cambridge in 1691. Of the six copies of each recorded, the Lily copies are certainly the finest, being bound together in original sheep and in perfect condition. Autographs were not sought with quite the persistence which went into collecting of printed books, though there are some very fine ones, including specimens of William Penn, George Rogers Clark, Lord Amherst, Washington, Lincoln, etc. Some of the literary manuscripts have been mentioned. Others include the original manuscript of Barry's Peter Pan, given by him to Maud Adams, before it had a title. It is headed Anon, and differs greatly from the final version. There is also the earliest known version of Burns' O Lang Syne, and the probable first draft of the address of Robert Bruce to his army before Bannockburn, and O oh, My Loves Like the Red Red Rose. There are also splendid Keats and Shelley and Emily Dickinson letters among others of the 19th century poets. Mr. Lilly's business naturally inclined him to acquire important medical books, and his collection of them is one of the finest ever by an individual anywhere. He wanted the key works, the first discoveries, whenever and wherever printed, and he in great part succeeded. The emphasis, as usual, was on significance, not value, and a five-dollar book found a place on his shelves as readily as a five-figure book if its contents justified its being there. As this is a highly specialised field, there is no point in listing a long string of titles, though some indication of the library's holdings may be given by mentioning Vesalius's Fabrica, 
both Basil, 1543 and 1555, Gemini's Anatomy, London, 1545, SDC listing only the BM and Bodleian copies, Harvey's De Motu Cordis, fine in original binding, and so on, through the tragic De Etiologie of Semmelweis, Röntgen, Pavlov, extensive Oslers, to Fleming, Banting and Salk. A majestic array indeed. The same concentration holds true of science, with the same rigid adherence to quality. Copernicus's De Revolutionibus has already been mentioned. Kepler's Astronomia Nova, Prague, 1609, is an association copy. Bacon's Instauratio is large paper, original vellum, with his boar head crest on the covers. Newton's Principia is in both states. The classics of mathematics, chemistry, geology, physics, etc., down to Smythe's account of the atom bomb, are all well represented. The American scene was Mr. Lilly's first love, and his topographical collection is a major accomplishment. It must be dealt with all too briefly in my remaining space. Books relating to Western exploration and conquest in general form an exciting, though relatively small, portion of the library. Among the rarer early books not so far mentioned are Harris, number four, the undated edition of the Columbus Letter, Enciso's Summa di Geografia, Seville, 1519, the complete nine Las Casas tracts, 1552-1553, that great rarity, Alphonse's Voyage Aventureux, Poitiers, 1559, Gomara's Historia Mexico, Peru, Saragotha, 1553, as well as the first Dutch, 1554, and Paris, 1569 editions. A special interest in Florida stemmed from the fact that Mr. Lilly spent many summers there as a boy and the collection ranges from the earliest discoveries to Romans Concise, Florida, New York, 1775. Later summers spent on Cape Cod influenced his collecting of the earliest Americana, which ranged from the brief relation, London, 1622, through Roger Williams' key Indian language, London 1643, to John Eliot's Indian tracts, London 1643 to 71, the church copies, and Hubbard's narrative, Boston 1677 to 86, in original binding with the first state of the map, the Hawthorne family copy. Early Virginiana include Haymore's True Discourse, London 1615, first issue totally uncut, with a broadside proclamation of the Virginia Company used as wrappers. Captain John Smith's Map of Virginia, Oxford 1612, the Bridgewater copy, and beautiful copies of his general history, the 1624 with the rare portraits, 1627 and 1630 editions. The Canadian collection is very choice, and 17th century items include, in the Les Carbeaux collection, the Relation Dernière, Paris 1612, Champlain's Voyage, Paris 1613, in original vellum with the map, as well as the 1619, 1620 and 1632 editions, and a beautiful set of 33 Jesuit relations, Paris 1635 to 1671, a score which would have been higher had there not been a commendable insistence upon original vellum bindings. 
Other works include a fine run of Hennepin with his Louisiana, Paris, 1683, and Nuremberg, 1689, Nouvelle Discovery, Utrecht, 1697 and 1698, and rarest of all, Nouveau Voyage, Utrecht, 1698, and in Spanish, Brussels, 1699. Other classics deserving mention are a copy of Purchase's Pilgrimage, London, 1625-6, in original vellum, Debris Voyage with the Elencus, 1617-1634, the beautiful Baron Landau copy, Cook's Voyages, all volumes including the Folio Atlas in original boards. This is a mere sampling from 500 books in this field. The main emphasis in Mr. Lilly's 18th century Americana is naturally on the revolution and constitutional development Though many of the important milestones of American history are represented along with books continuing the history and exploration of Florida, Canada and the Mississippi Valley. Cotton Mather's Magnalia Christi Americana, London 1702, is a large paper copy with two leaves of errata. There are fine Benjamin Franklings, including the autobiography in its first French, English, German and American editions of two copies of Thomas Jefferson's privately printed Notes on Virginia, Paris, 1782. One is inscribed, and the copy of the first census of the United States is signed by John Filson's Kentucky. Wilmington, 1784, with a map, is among treasures which include the original broadside printing of the Declaration of Independence, together with its first appearance in a newspaper, a book, a magazine, and in England. Hamilton's The Federalist is on thick paper. Franklin's printing of Constitutions des Treize Etats-Unis de l'Amérique is on large paper and is George III's copy. And the official printing of the first Acts of Congress containing the Bill of Rights is the copy which Washington gave Jefferson, the first President to the first Secretary of State. The expanding panorama of American life in the 19th century is reflected in such works as Lewis and Clark's History, in original printed boards, the first issue of the sheet music of the Star-Stangled Banner, a beautiful set of the Elephant Folio Audubon, and a mint set, in wrappers, of the popular issue in 100 parts. The Civil War collection contains fine Lincoln material, including the second inaugural, one of only three known, a transcript of Daniel Emmett's Dixie, the proofs of the Constitution of the Confederate States, corrected by its Vice President, Alexander H. Stevens, and believed unique. R. E. Lee's Autograph Surrender, General Order No. 9, and much related matter. The collection of American literature runs into thousands of volumes, from the generally accepted, quote, first novel, the Power of Sympathy, Boston, 1789, to Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea, New York, 1952, one of the first 30 special copies. Almost all the important works in both verse and prose are present, many in presentation copies, with letters and manuscripts, and many of the author collections are complete. The main interest before the Civil War is early fiction, about half the titles, and among these the rarest, in Oscar Wegelin's list of early American fiction before 1925 or in the library, Southern fiction, the classic New England authors, and especially Edgar Allan Poe. 
After the Civil War, there is a remarkable holding of Mark Twain and a remarkable concentration of the famous Hoosier, Indiana, School of Writers. Cooper's The Spy and Bryant's Poems, 1821, were respectively the first American novel and the first American book of verse to receive international acclaim. Only one inscribed copy of each is known, and both are in the library. Most of the substantial Poe collections are still privately owned, and among those in public institutions, only the New York Public Library's holders can compete with Mr. Lilly's. No other university library has anything remotely comparable. It need only be said that the Lilly copies of all Poe's books are first editions. Tales, New York, 1845, in original wrappers, is a presentation copy of the correct first issue, and in this state, the rarest of all Poe's works. There are numerous other presentation copies, manuscripts of Eulalie and to Margaret, his love letters to Sarah Helen Whitman, and their application for a marriage license. There is also a large collection of the magazines to which Poe contributed, including his own copy of Volume 2 of the Broadway Journal and much concerning the Poe Circle. Finally, it should be mentioned that Mr. Lilly's father founded the Foster Hall in Pittsburgh with its Stephen Foster collection, and that his brother has been extremely active and generous in the Indiana Historical Society. And the Lilly Endowment, alone among such American foundations known to me, has been a generous and consistent backer of antiquarian and bibliographical projects. Its recent 20-year report reveals, for example, that $277,000 have been granted during the past 14 years to the Bibliographical Society of America, mostly for the monumental bibliography of American literature. $40,000 to the Library of Congress towards the publication of the Catalogue of the Library of Thomas Jefferson, $30,000 to the American Antiquarian Society, and $20,000 to the New York Public Library. In this brief and true relation of a single collector's achievement, much has had to be left out. In the space available, only the great books could be mentioned and lesser works, some 20,000 of them, have had to be passed over. Mr. Lilly was fortunate in the period of his collecting, for the depression of the 1930s brought out treasures which would otherwise have never come his way and substantially diminished competition. Happily, he never lost either his enthusiasm or his resources, and he was generally, as he deserved to be, well served by his advisers. No individual American collector, to my knowledge, has ever set out to do just what Mr. Lilly has done over so wide and varied a field. Morgan, Huntington, Folger and their like may have formed libraries worth more commercially, and certainly many American collectors have surpassed him in their specialised fields, but none has been so all-embracing. Did you enjoy that podcast? If so, you simply must subscribe to The Book Collector at www.thebookcollector.co.uk. Only £70 for a whole year. That's cheaper than Netflix. For that, you'll receive our splendid quarterly issues filled with erudite articles, reviews, book news, auction results and more. At the same time, you'll be able to browse our vast digital archive at your leisure, 
That's nearly 70 years of bibliophilic treasure. www.thebookcollector.co.uk is the place to find us. Don't delay. Subscribe today.